Say, oh, the glory of God is seen most clearly when he was lifted high between heaven and earth, suspended on a cross on Calvary. His glory is seen in the giving of himself. What do you glory in today? You know, um, I wonder, you know, just about four weeks ago, we began a, um, a sermon series, a journey in discovering how God has made us to thrive. You know, we've looked at different things. We've looked at how God has, has given us the word so that we can thrive. We've looked at different things like God has given us the privilege of trusting him so that we can thrive. And I wonder how you've experienced that um, in the, the first four, first five weeks of this new year. Have you been experiencing the glory of God? Have you been experiencing God uh, enabling you not just to survive and get by, but to actually thrive? Um, I wonder, you know, if just in, in the, the next few minutes, if you can think of some specific way that you've seen God's glory or you've just been blessed by his presence in your life, some specific promise that he's given you or some specific answer to prayer, would you just turn to somebody next to you and, and share about that? Or maybe you don't have anything yet to share. Would you be a good friend and listen to somebody else share about that? Okay, let's just take a few moments. You may not necessarily be sitting right next to somebody, so go ahead and reach over, look behind you, whatever. I want to just give a chance to, to give glory to God for what he has done, the great things he has done. So go ahead, take a few moments to, to spark some short, brief conversation and give glory to the God of all grace. Go ahead. <clears throat> testimony. In other words, when we are able to share of God's glory, when we are able to share what God has done in our lives, that's actually a mechanism through which you and I can experience victory over the enemy. Praise the Lord. So, so share. So be, be willing to give God the glory. I'm thankful today for God's presence. I'm thankful today for God's word. I'm thankful today for God's family. You know, today is Friendship Sabbath. If you didn't know it, welcome. Welcome to Friendship Sabbath. And if you are here as a guest, if you have been brought by a friend, um, you are entitled to, to walk past the guest book on your way out and make sure you can walk away with homemade bread today, okay? Maybe you weren't brought by a, a friend, but you're here today as a guest and you were brought by your friend Jesus Christ. You are entitled to walk away with some bread today. As long as supplies last, I should say. But, <laughs> but praise the Lord, we are so glad and so thankful for the family of God. I hope that through your experience here today, that you're able to taste and see that the Lord is good. Amen. It's good to see some familiar faces. Pastor Schooley, Eva Lou, it's, it's good to see you. Yeah, you guys are a walking testimony to the glory of God. Vincent, it's, it's good to see you too, brother. Man, so many people, it's, it's really good to see you guys. Um, and maybe, maybe you're like me, maybe your friends didn't actually take you up on your invitation. That's okay. They're still your friends. They're still my friends too. <laughs> no, but in your bulletins, you probably found this postcard. You can still invite them. All right. There's, there's a powerful creation seminar coming up. A friend of mine, Nathaniel Gibbs, this is not his picture on the front, by the way. <laughs> Although, if he still has his winter beard, it, he actually bears a striking resemblance to this man. 
Anyways, so my friend Nathaniel Gibbs, he'll be presenting February 10 to 13, two presentations tonight, 6.30 and 7.30, giving us solid answers for why we can trust the story of creation in scriptures. It's actually a really powerful seminar. And then Discover Prophecy will be coming February 19. So a lot of things to invite our friends to. Amen? Yeah. Awesome. Well, today, um, I'm thankful for the privilege of getting into the Word of God. We're going to be hitting on um, a message called Made to Thrive, and this is actually part three of our Made to Thrive series. If you missed parts one and two, that's okay. You can go to our website and catch up on the sermons there. But before we get into the Word, let's bow our heads together for prayer. Father in heaven, we are thankful for every opportunity we have to gather together as a family, to gather together around your word. Lord, we're thankful for opportunities to share and to hear about your glory. We're thankful for opportunities to recognize your presence in this circumstance, your providence in that way, your blessing and answer to prayer here, your strength made known here. Lord, we thank you that you are the living God, and today we pray that the living God would speak through his living word. As we open up the Bible, we pray we would not just hear someone else's story, but that we would hear our own story. Would you please speak to us, God? You know the circumstances, you know the burdens, you know the joys, you know the sorrows. Please give us fresh bread today. We thank you that this is your desire, and we're just confessing that it's our desire too. So please speak to us in Jesus' name. Let the family say, amen. Amen. Go with me in your Bibles, if you will, to the book of Daniel. Daniel chapter 4. We're going to the, this Old Testament book, Daniel chapter 4. And uh, this is where we're going to see yet another picture of thriving. We're going to see another picture of thriving. And it's a picture, guess what? It's a picture of a thriving tree. All right? Daniel chapter 4. As we've looked at this, uh, this series on being made to thrive, we've, we've seen that God pictures you and I like a tree. God actually pictures you as a vibrant, growing, flourishing tree. One that's productive, one that's prosperous. And as we've been studying these pictures, we see that this tree, this picture of thriving, doesn't happen on its own. In Psalm chapter 1, we saw that the thriving tree is thriving because it's rooted in the Word of God. In Jeremiah 17, we saw a picture of a thriving tree that's not thriving on its own, but it's thriving because it's trusting in the living God. And here in Daniel chapter 4, we're going to find a third picture. It's a picture of a thriving tree. It's a picture of a thriving king. And this king doesn't even know where his thriving comes from. Daniel chapter 4, we're going to begin in verse 1. This is a story of, actually, it's a story of two kings. It's a story of a king with a lowercase k, and the story of the king with a capital K. Daniel chapter 4, we're going to begin in verse 1. I'm reading from the New King James Version. Daniel chapter 4, verse 1, when you've found it, go ahead and say, I've found it. All right. Nebuchadnezzar the king. All right, so there's king number one. This is king with a lowercase k. His name is, what was it? Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar. Yeah, try saying that ten times fast, right? Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar. Okay. Nebuchadnezzar the king 
to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth. Peace be multiplied to you. Nebuchadnezzar is writing a letter. He's writing a letter and he's hoping that everybody in his kingdom will hear it. Actually, he's actually, this is the only uh, non-Jewish writer that is recorded in the scriptures. Okay? Uh, Nebuchadnezzar actually has a chance. He's a, he's a heathen king. He's a pagan. And yet God grants him the ability to write <laughs> And it's canonized in scripture. This is powerful. Nebuchadnezzar the king, to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell on all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. Verse 2, I thought it good to declare the signs and wonders that the most high God has worked for who? For me. Is it possible that God would work for even a heathen king? And in verse 3, it says, How great are his signs, and how mighty his wonders. His what is the next word? His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion is from generation to generation. So in verse 1, we found king number 1, Nebuchadnezzar the king, lowercase k. In verse 3, we're finding that the Most High God is recognized by this king as the king of kings. This is the story of two kings. King Nebuchadnezzar and the King of Kings. And so let's find out story number one. What is Nebuchadnezzar's story? He's going to tell us straight up. In verse one, he says, I'm sorry, verse four, he says, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at rest in my house, flourishing in my palace. Do you kind of catch the setting? Nebuchadnezzar is at ease. (laughs) Nebuchadnezzar is serene, he's tranquil, he is feeling secure because he is feeling very successful. Maybe you've had moments, maybe you've had seasons like that where the sun is shining down on you, the crops are bursting, your wallet is pounding, you're just feeling at ease. And here is Nebuchadnezzar. It's a picture of rest. He says, I was at rest in my house and flourishing in my palace. Interesting, that word flourishing, it's related to the Hebrew word that is translated in other places as green. Speaking of a green olive tree or a green leaf. And so Nebuchadnezzar feels like, oh man, I am growing, I am verdant, I am vigorous, I am even luxuriant. But this picture of this king who had it all and he knew it, it's going to change in just a moment. In verse 5 it says, I saw a dream which made me afraid. And the thoughts on my bed and the visions of my head troubled me. He's no longer at rest. Do you see it? In verse 6, the Bible continues. And see if this rings a bell to any other passage in Scripture. Therefore, I issued a decree to bring in all the wise men of Babylon before me, that they might make known to me the interpretation of this dream. Then the magicians, the astrologers, the Chaldeans, and the soothsayers, they came in. And I told them the dream, but they did not make known to me its interpretation. But at last, Daniel came before me. His name is Belteshazzar, according to the name of my God. In him is the spirit of the holy God. And I told the dream before him. So here's Nebuchadnezzar. He's at rest in verse 4. But by the time you get to his sleep, he's not resting at all. He's troubled. He's anxious. Why? Because he has a a dream. 
And he doesn't understand the meaning of this dream. He, the intensity of this dream is such that he realizes there has to be some significance. He doesn't know what that significance is, so he has a desire to understand it. He reaches out to his magicians, his suicide, his counselors, his Chaldeans, and are they able, yes or no, to help him out? No. But he does know that there is someone who is able. And his name is Daniel. Daniel, or in other places, Belteshazzar. That was the, the nickname or the rename that Nebuchadnezzar gave to Daniel. This truly is a blast from the past. Does, any, does anybody feel like this is reminiscent? This is recalling some other experience of Nebuchadnezzar? Yeah, just two chapters earlier, we find in chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar was just a new king. It was his second year as king, and he had a troublesome what? He had a troublesome dream. And when he called his magicians, his counselors, his soothsayers, were they able to help him understand his dream, yes or no? No, not at all. In fact, he was so upset, he was so upset. As a second-year king, he's still a newbie, he's still trying to figure out who he can trust in his kingdom. He's so upset that he says, hey, this whole class of counselors and magicians, get rid of them, let their houses be turned into an ash heap. And so the soldiers go out into the kingdom, people are dying left and right, they knock on the door of Daniel and his three friends because they were actually part of this group of counselors. And Daniel says, hold up. Let me talk to my God. Tell the king I'll tell him about things tomorrow. And sure enough, God grants Daniel the wisdom to understand Nebuchadnezzar's dream in its entirety. And Daniel is able to go before the king and, and just lay it all out. How many of you are familiar with this chapter? Yeah, Daniel chapter 2. It's really powerful. And in fact, actually, if you just flip a few pages earlier, Daniel chapter 2, take a look at this. Daniel chapter 2, take a look at verse 28. Daniel chapter 2, verse 28. This is the, this is the part in which Daniel is actually now, he, he, he's approaching King Nebuchadnezzar, the second year king, saying, hey, look, uh, uh, God has revealed this to us. Daniel chapter 2, verse 28. 28, excuse me. Are you there? Say yes or no. Yeah? All right. Here we go. But there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the, what's, what are the next two words there? In the latter days, your dream and the visions of your head upon your bed were these, and then from verse 29 on, he starts laying it out. He starts laying it out. This is amazing. Daniel is saying, look, this dream that you had, Nebuchadnezzar, the God of heaven was talking to you. The God of heaven was not just talking to you about his day. <laughs> the God of heaven was revealing what? It says, he was making known to you what will be in the latter days. He, the God of heaven, was revealing to this pagan king the future of the world. Why would God do this? <laughs> Why would God reveal to a pagan king what his plans are? Is it because God was uh, trying to put Nebuchadnezzar in his place and pop his bubble saying, hey king, you think you're all that, but there are many other kingdoms to come after you. Is that, is that what God was trying to do? No, no, no. What God was trying to do is not to pop his bubble, but to invite him into a relationship with him. Do you realize that God was revealing to this pagan king prophecy? 
and through prophecy. It was not intended to mystify. It was intended to clarify who the true king of kings is. Through prophecy, God was not on a strategy of intimidation. God was on a pursuit of invitation. King, you're looking for a kingdom that lasts forever? It's not yours. It's mine. Come, be a part of this kingdom. Do you follow that today, yes or no? Yeah? The God of heaven is speaking to this pagan king. He's giving him an invitation to enter into the kingdom that truly lasts, the dominion that will never see an end. And this was several years earlier than Daniel chapter 4. By the time we come to Daniel chapter 4, Nebuchadnezzar has experienced many things. At the end of Daniel chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar is actually willing to praise the God of gods. He's willing to praise and give glory to Daniel's God. But by the time you get to Daniel chapter 3, do you know what Nebuchadnezzar does in Daniel chapter 3? He builds, he builds this statue. <laughs> he builds this statue and it's of all gold and it's, it's almost like in defiance saying, you know what, there, that dream may have said that other kingdoms will come, but I'm going to build an emblem, an icon that says there will be no other kingdom to come. <laughs> Daniel chapter 3, Nebuchadnezzar is still reminded that he is not the king who lasts forever. There are three Hebrews. Their names are Shadrach, Meshach, and does anybody know? And Abednego. They stand tall and, and they do not bow down to this golden image when the music plays. And Nebuchadnezzar ends up trying to throw them into the fiery furnace. You remember this story, yeah? He tries to throw them into the fiery furnace. And he thinks that he is the king that will rule. He thinks that he is the kingdom that lasts forever. But he is reminded through the blaze of that fire that only God, <laughs> only God is the King of kings and Lord of lords. Those three Hebrew worthies, they're thrown into the fire, but they remain alive. The only thing that's burned up is the ropes that bound their hands. And as they're walking in the midst of the fire, Nebuchadnezzar looks in. I thought I threw three guys in there. But there are four walking about, and the fourth one looks like the son of the living God. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, come out and bring that guy in. <laughs> the three Hebrews, they come out, not the smell of smoke on them. Nebuchadnezzar says, okay, okay, new decree, everybody. If anybody doesn't worship the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're going into the fire. Okay. <laughs> Nebuchadnezzar is brought to these places where he has to recognize who the true king of kings is. One of those ways is through the medium of prophecy, of revelation. The other is through fire. And here in Daniel chapter 4, Daniel chapter 4, God is at it again. God wants to speak to this pagan king because apparently he has a hard head. And in Daniel chapter 4, beginning in verse, where is it? Beginning in verse 10, he starts describing this dream to Daniel. Daniel, help me out. You helped me before, can you please help me out? This was what I dreamt. In verse 10, this is now Daniel chapter 4, verse 10. If you're there, say amen. amen. All right, Daniel 4, verse 10. These were the visions of my head while on my bed. I was looking, and behold, a what? A tree in the midst of the earth, and its height was great. The tree grew and became strong. Its height reached to the heavens, and it could be seen to the ends of all the earth. Its leaves were lovely, its fruit abundant, and in it was food for all. 
The beasts of the field found shade under it. The birds of the heavens dwelt in its branches, and all flesh was fed from it. In verses 10 through 12, what does Nebuchadnezzar see in his dream? He sees a tree. Is it a, is it a withered tree? It's a vibrant tree. It's flourishing. Three things that stand out to me about this tree. This is a tree of prominence. It's in the midst of the earth. It was great, according to verse 10. Its height was great. Another thing, this tree, uh, this tree, you could almost say it was a tree of providence, like it was being provided for. You know, in verse 11 it says the tree grew and, the tree grew and became strong. Its, reach, its height reached to the heavens. Trees don't do that on its own. Trees do that as, as they're cared for, as they're provided for. But you get the idea that this providence almost verged on arrogance. That phrase, its height reached to the heavens, the first time you hear that phrase is actually in Genesis chapter 11, the Tower of Babel. They were wanting to reach to the heavens. And so the providence, that's a funny thing about God's providence. It can be interpreted as God's blessing or it can be blindly interpreted as reason for arrogance. The other thing about this tree, it was a tree of prominence. It was a tree of providence slash arrogance. It was also a tree of influence and abundance. In verse 12, it says its leaves were lovely, its fruit abundant, and in it was food for all. This tree, when it's thriving, when people are flourishing, when God is providing, the intent of that is to influence and bless those around it. But this tree of prominence and and providence and, and abundance and influence, this tree is eventually undone. Keep reading. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar goes on to tell Daniel, hey, this is what I saw in verse 13. I saw in the visions of my head while on my bed, and there was a watcher, a holy one, uh, almost like a, an angelic uh, uh, spectator that was observing these things. It says in verse th- 13, coming down from heaven, Verse 14, he cried aloud and said thus, chop down the tree and cut off its branches, strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the beasts get out from under it and the birds from its branches nevertheless leave the stump and roots in the earth, bound with the band of iron and bronze in the tender grass of the field. Let it be wet with the dew of heaven. And notice how the dream Almost mid-verse, here in this verse, in verse 15, this dream, it transitions its focus not just to an inanimate object of a tree, but notice it gets personal. And let him graze with the beasts on the grass of the earth. Let his heart be changed from that of a man. Let him be given the heart of a beast and let seven times pass over him. Do you see what's going on? The tree that's so prominent, so abundant, so influential, this tree is cut down. Almost in an instant. This tree is cut down. Everything is undone. And it's apparently not just talking about an inanimate object. It's talking about a person. You see where this is headed? It's talking about a person. And and in verse 18... Sorry, let's keep going from actually starting in verse 17. This decision is by the decree of the watchers and the sentence by the word of the holy ones in order that the living may know 
that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men, gives it to whomever he will, and sets over it the lowest of men. This dream I, King Nebuchadnezzar, have seen. Now you, Belteshazzar, that's Daniel, declare its interpretation, since all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make known to me the interpretation. But you are able, for the spirit of the holy God is in you. And you can imagine that Daniel is processing this thing, and you probably know the interpretation just as well as Daniel does. This is not just about a tree. This is about a person who thinks he's all that and will eventually be cut down. And Daniel, according to verse 19, says Daniel was astonished. He was astonished for some time. Maybe your Bible even says he was astonished for an hour. This guy, he was speechless. Daniel had grown to like Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel had grown to to even enjoy serving in Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom. Daniel was a man of integrity, and, and so he was able to get along with this guy. And Daniel says in verse 19, So the king spoke and said, Oh, sorry, Nebuchadnezzar speaks to him again. Belteshazzar, do not let the dream or its interpretation trouble you. Belteshazzar answered and said, Oh, my lord, may the dream concern those who hate you, and its inter- interpretation concern your enemies. Daniel starts breaking it down. This tree that you saw, that was so flourishing, so great, its height reached to the heavens, this tree was you. Nebuchadnezzar, you are in a position of influence. You are prominent. You are being provided for, but this providence is turning into a source of arrogance. This tree is you. Your influence reaches to the ends of the earth. All people find shade under your influence says it there in verse 22. It is you, O king, who have grown and become strong, for your greatness has grown and reaches to the heavens and your dominion to the end of the earth. Now, emotionally, think, uh, emotionally speaking, what, what are you thinking at this time? If you're Nebuchadnezzar, you're, oh, yeah, <laughs> right? That's what I'm, yeah, this is what I'm after. This is what life is all about. That's true. He, he's walking around in his palace. He feels at rest. He's flourishing. But the dream continues. In verse 23, And inasmuch as the king saw a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven and saying, Chop down the tree and destroy it. Skipping down to verse 24, This is the interpretation, O king. This is the decree of the Most High, which has come upon my Lord the king. They shall drive you from men. Your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and they shall make you eat grass like oxen. They shall wet you with the dew of heaven, and seven times, that means seven years, shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of heaven and gives it to whomever he chooses. There's light at the end of the tunnel. Do you see that? Until you know. Nebuchadnezzar, you are this tree that's flourishing. You are thriving. And it's not your doing. It's God's doing. But the moment you think it's all about you, you're going to be chopped down like that tree. You're actually going to become like one of the beasts of the field. The the dew of heaven is going to wet your hair. You're, You're not even going to think straight. Until you know who the true king of kings is. And in verse 26 and verse 27, Daniel 
he kind of gives this assurance and this appeal. He, he's trying to let him know, hey, look, there's still hope here. Verse 26, And inasmuch as they gave the command to leave the stump and roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be assured to you after you come to know what? That heaven rules. That your rulership is completely contingent upon heaven's rulership. That your influence, your ability to provide for others is completely dependent upon God's providence for you. And in verse 27, Therefore, O king, let my advice be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by being righteous and your iniquities by showing mercy to the poor. Perhaps there may be a lengthening of your prosperity. Daniel's appeal is simply this. Be righteous, you know. Forget this. And and, and let me say this about righteousness. Righteousness, yes, it's not just right doing, but it's also being in right relationship with God. Daniel is appealing to Nebuchadnezzar, hey, look, get things straight, but get your relationships straight. Acknowledge who the king of kings really is, that he is the one that is making you thrive. It's not you. And then the last part of this appeal says, showing mercy to the poor. It reminds me of that verse in Micah 6, verse 8. Uh, he has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? Be in a right relationship with God. Daniel is trying to say, hey, look, this, this doesn't have to be your fate. God is showing you this prophecy not to intimidate you, but to invite you into a right relationship with him. And so how do you think Nebuchadnezzar responds to this dream? It says in verse 28, all this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. But what's interesting to me is that it didn't come right away. Notice in verse 29, at the end of how many months? 12 months. At the end of 12 months. God gave this dream 12 months ago to Nebuchadnezzar. God gave Nebuchadnezzar 12 months to get things right in his relationship to the king of kings. And it says at the end of 12 months, he was walking about the royal palace of Babylon. Now, if you know something about the history of Babylon, Babylon, under Nebuchadnezzar's administration, had become one of the seven wonders of the world. I mean, it was so beautiful. Everything was covered with gold. The hanging gardens of Babylon were unrivaled. And Babylon, he's, he's walking, Nebuchadnezzar's walking, just kind of observing this beautiful kingdom. And surely it truly was a magnificent thing to behold. And it says in verse 30, the king spoke saying, is not this great Babylon that I have built for a royal dwelling by my mighty power and for the honor of my majesty? Verse 31, while the word was still in the king's mouth, a voice from heaven, King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken, the kingdom has departed from you. I want you to know something. God is giving this message. It's not Daniel. God is giving this message. Uh, I hope we recognize that anytime God speaks, even when it's a, it's, a, it's a message of rebuke, the very fact that God is speaking is an act of mercy. The very fact that God is revealing himself to you 
is an act of grace. God, he could have easily just chopped him down, no word, no warning, no nothing. Nothing 12 months ago, nothing right now. He could have easily done that. Snap of the finger. But the very fact that God is speaking is evidence that God wants to be known and understood. He wants you to hear. He wants you to be in a relationship with him. Understand this about prophecy. It's never meant to to intimidate you. It's always meant to invite you. And so Nebuchadnezzar hears this word. King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you, verse 32. And they shall drive you from men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. They shall make you eat grass like oxen, and seven times shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he chooses. And notice verse 33. This is exactly what happened. That very hour the word was fulfilled concerning Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from men and ate grass like oxen. His body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair had grown like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. Nebuchadnezzar was the first one to be in beast mode. Okay? If you're an NFL fan, if you're a Seattle Seahawks fan, whatever, this is, this is the real beast mode. Okay? And this is not positive. <laughs> Nebuchadnezzar was in beast mode, and this, it was in this beast mode that God was able to restore him. You would even say resurrect him, give him a new life. Seven years passed by, and the man who started beast mode actually looked to heaven. It says in verse 34, And at the end of the time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, And my understanding returned to me, and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored Him who lives forever. For His dominion is an everlasting dominion, and His kingdom is from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing that's Himself included. He does according to His will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. No one can restrain His hand or say to Him, What have you done? The Most High God restored this pagan king's mind so that he could give glory to the King of Kings. That's the story of the king with the lowercase k. It's a story that that, that recognizes that, you know, sometimes God needs to bring us to a point of humiliation when we're not willing to humble ourselves. You know, there's actually another time in which... um, a Bible writer felt like he was in a beast mode of sorts. Uh, keep a finger here in Daniel chapter 4 and go to Psalm uh, chapter 73. Psalm 73, this is very interesting. In Psalm 73, it just kind of confirms the fact that when, when we're brought to this point of being, uh, you know, just like a, a beast of burden, that, that God is actually able to communicate to us. Psalm 73 Psalm is about halfway through the Bible, so if you're in Daniel, just go to the left a few books. You're going to go to Psalm 73, and we're going to read verses 22 to 26. Psalm 73. When you found it, go ahead and say, I found it. All right. If you notice that a friend of yours needs some help, go ahead and reach over and start flipping some pages with them. Psalm 73. Now, in this context... The psalmist here, his name is Asaph. He's not a king. He's someone who works in the, in the temple. He, he's a songwriter for God's kingdom. 
But he, in this context, is not struggling necessarily with pride, with arrogance. He's struggling with a question that he's not getting answered by God. And he's trying to figure this out, and he, he, he doesn't quite get it. He, he feels as though God doesn't have an answer for his question. And maybe in that sense, there's a little bit of pride stirred up in there. But in Psalm 73, beginning in verse 22, when you're there, say amen. Okay? It says, I was so foolish and ignorant, I was like a beast before you. Nevertheless, notice his assurance here. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold me by my right hand. You will guide me with your counsel and afterward receive me to glory. Can you imagine that even when we become like, when we become like beasts before God, when we become senseless in our own pride, in our own blindness, in our own confusion and questions, God says, hey, I'm not going to abandon you. I'm continually with you. I'm holding you by your right hand. And in verse 20, 25, notice what the psalmist says. Whom have I in heaven but you? There is none upon earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. You see, the psalmist recognized that, whoa, 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 I became like a beast, but it was in this beast-like condition that I recognize that I have got nothing here on earth. My treasure is the king of kings. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. He is my all in all. Sometimes God needs to bring us to the point of humiliation. Sometimes God needs to bring us to the point of beast mode, literally, to recognize that he is our all in all. So the story of a king back in Daniel chapter 4, the story of this king is a story of, of restoration. That even in our beastliness, God is able to extend grace to us. That when we are in our beast-like condition, sometimes that's the only time we can recognize that he is everything we could possibly need. That's where God can give us a new heart. That's where God can give us restoration, reconciliation, restoration, everything that you're looking for. Resurrection. Sometimes God needs to make you like an animal <laughs> in order for us to finally find that faith in him. That's the story of a king. But remember, there's, this is two stories. The story of a king with a lowercase k and the story of the king with a capital K. The story of the king of kings. And in this chapter, Daniel chapter 4, I see a God who works patiently and persistently with you and me. I see a God who is willing to go through to some extreme circumstances to reach your heart and mine. Do you notice that God, he, he gave Nebuchadnezzar a prophecy just as a second year king. He gave Daniel, excuse me, he gave Nebuchadnezzar this dream back in chapter 2. He gave Nebuchadnezzar that chance to see who he was through Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He gave Nebuchadnezzar this new dream in chapter 4 to invite, even 12 months after that dream. This is a God who is so patient, who is so persistent, that he will go through whatever extreme to reach your heart and mine. To bring us into a saving relationship with him. Yes, he's even willing to humble us, 
to the point where in our beast-like condition, we recognize that all we have and all we could ever want is found only in him. But I would say this, that this is not just a king who is willing to make us humbled. (laughs) I would say that this is the story of a king who is willing to humble himself, even to become like a beast. Did you hear that? That there is a king in heaven who is willing to humble himself even to the big point of being led like a lamb to the slaughter. This is a story of a king who, who upon his entrance into our realm, he was willing to be born where animals stayed. This is the story of a king who is willing to humble himself so that you and I can have a second chance at life. Now that's a king that I can praise. It's not a king who just sits on his high throne and rubs it in our faces. This is a king who's willing to come off his throne so that he can lift us up to his throne. That's the king we serve. That's the king that Nebuchadnezzar had a chance to know, to trust, and to love. This is the story of the true king of kings, the one whose true greatness is found in his humility, whose glory is in the cross of Calvary. Do you know him? (laughs) Do you know him? And that was simply the question that was laid out to Nebuchadnezzar. Do you know me? Do you want to know? That was the whole purpose of revealing this dream and the dream several years before. God was saying, will you know me? Will you come to see my glory? God is inviting us today. God is inviting you and me. God was inviting King Nebuchadnezzar, even from his pagan, heathen, just far gone background. God is inviting all of us to thrive by one, knowing his glory. This is, this is where we're coming down just to our practical takeaways here. How, how then can we respond? God's invitation is out there. God's invitation, he wants you and me to thrive like a tree, to flourish, to, to, to reach to the heights of heaven, not in an arrogant way, but recognizing the providence of God. God is inviting you and I to thrive, number one, by knowing his glory. And how do we know his glory? Well, if Nebuchadnezzar's experience has anything to do with this, I would say that we know his glory through the study of prophecy. Do you see what I'm saying? Nebuchadnezzar had a chance to know God's glory as he received prophecy from God. And some of us think to ourselves, well, well, prophecy is kind of scary. Check this out. That book, that last book that some people think is sealed, that some people think is scary, Revelation, it's a revelation. It's a revelation. The first words of Revelation chapter 1, verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ. Prophecy is meant to reveal. Prophecy is meant to redeem. Prophecy is meant to invite you to know the King of Kings. So how can I know God's glory? I would suggest, Nebuchadnezzar would suggest, he would prescribe, study prophecy. Get to know God and what his plan is, not just for me personally, what his plan is for the cosmos and how he can do that. And maybe you're thinking, I don't even know the first step in studying prophecy. Well, check it out. (laughs) February 19, 
begins Discover Prophecy. We're doing a prophecy seminar right here. A friend of ours, A.J. Belts, he'll be presenting every night except for Tuesdays and Wednesdays, February 19 to March 5. Book it in your calendar right now. Will you do it? Study, know the glory of God. Know him. Trust him as, you reveal, as he reveals himself to you through prophecy. And maybe, maybe those nightly meetings don't work out. Maybe you want to get a jump start. Maybe February 19 is too far from now, and you want to start studying prophecy right now. We can give you resources. We can give you study guides. We can actually study with you personally. Um, if you are interested, let, if you're looking for study resources, let, let, get your pens moving. Let me give you a phone number. Can I do that? I'll give you a phone number. It's not my personal phone number, but I'll, I'll give you that one too if you want it. Okay, it, it is in there, right? Okay, let me give you a phone number, okay? So if you want these study guides that will help you just kind of walk through uh, the teachings of Scripture and the prophecies of Scripture, we'd be happy to get those to you. So here's a phone number. You ready? The number is 888-457-2723. I'll say it again. 888 888- Four five seven, two seven, two three. And when you when you call to that number, go ahead and just leave your, your contact info. And what we'll do is we will start getting study guides to you. Okay, uh, these these are study guides that are produced by It Is Written, powerful television and radio ministry. And so maybe there's a friend of yours that is looking to study prophecy, and you want to share this phone number with them. Go ahead and share that phone number with them. There's also a web link. It's myfreebiblestudy.org myfreebiblestudy.org and specifically slash L462. I know that's a lot of information. I probably should have had it on the screen. Sorry. (laughs) But there it is. If you're looking for ways to get into prophecy right now, the point is this. Know the glory of God through the word. God is inviting you to thrive by knowing his glory. Here's the second thing. Here's the second thing. We'll wrap it up. God is inviting you to thrive by living for his glory. By living for his glory. God didn't just bless Nebuchadnezzar with all this influence and all this abundance for his sake. No, God blessed him for the glory and character and revealing of God himself. And we can thrive when we live for God's glory, when we see our prosperity as an opportunity to bless God, to bless others. Maybe God has put you in positions of prominence. Maybe he's put you in positions of influence. You may not necessarily feel materially prosperous, but God has given you some strength. God has given you some passion, some giftedness, some endowment that you feel, hey, this this is where I kind of find my groove. This is my passion. This is my success zone. You may have that, but recognize that's from God. That's from God so you can give glory to God. The moment we, we think that's for our own enjoyment, the moment that we think that it's just for our benefit, that's when we begin to experience the chopping. <laughs> that's no longer thriving. That's no longer thriving. Instead, use your influence. Use that strength to recognize the King of Kings. And don't become a glutton for influence. Don't become a glutton for, for being needed. Oh, people need this from me. Instead, acknowledge that it's all from God and it's all for God. The people don't need you. They need the God who has blessed you. Did you hear it? I don't know. Maybe that popped someone's bubble today. People don't need you. They need the God who is blessing you. And when you start living that kind of life, you're going to thrive. 
you're really going to thrive. You may not have great prominence or extraordinary influence, but with whatever strength or endowment you do have, use it for the glory of God. And I, I want to address even just kind of the flip side of this. Maybe there's someone here today who's like, man, I have no strength. <laughs> I have nothing to offer. How could God possibly use me to live for his glory? I would say that even on that extreme side of things, we're still allowing self to be bigger than God. Uh, God, God wouldn't want to bless me with anything. You're still allowing yourself to be bigger than God there. Allow the glory of God to actually be upon you and lived out through you. Do you follow that today? So maybe you don't resonate with Nebuchadnezzar at all. You've never experienced such great heights. You, you always feel like you're the bottom dweller and you'll never get out of that. But could it be that God actually is giving you something to bless this world with and you're, you're, you're allowing yourself to still be bigger than God by holding it back? I want to challenge you today. Thrive. You were made to thrive. Thrive by knowing God's glory Thrive by living for God's glory. Is that your desire today? Yes or no? Yeah? Amen. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, I want to thank you that you understand where we're at. You understand our fears. You understand our, our pride. And God, on both sides of that, I pray that you would remove our pride, that you would remove our fears, and that you would truly bless us for the glory of your name. Lord, it's not our prayer that we would be great. It's our prayer that you would be great through us. It's not just our prayer to, to thrive and succeed. It's our prayer that through our thriving experience, you would be magnified, you would be lifted up. And so, Father, I pray for anyone who's searching to know your glory, I pray that you would provide them the resources that they need, the opportunities to take advantage of, Thank you so much for your word, the sure word of prophecy, and may that truly be something that causes us to thrive. I pray, God, also that in our moments of success, in our moments of, of, of just feeling strength, that we, would, that we would have the humility to see that it's from you and for you. And so please, live out your life in us today. Use us today as vessels through which you can declare to the world that your dominion is an everlasting dominion. Your kingdom is from generation to generation. Father, we pray that this would be our, our purpose statement, our mission in life, to give you all glory and praise and honor. In Jesus' name, let everyone say, Amen. Amen. Amen.